0: Welcome to Hope and Heresy, Life on the Religious Left, where we wrestle with contemporary issues using history and theology as our guides.
1: Our task is to reclaim religion for everyday people who want to live meaningfully without letting arbitrary doctrine or oppressive religious practice prevent us from asking big questions about our complicated world. I'm Rev. Sarah Lindsay.
0: And I'm Rev. Peggy Clark, and we're Unitarian Universalist Ministers broadcasting from Community Church of New York here in New York City. Sarah. hi Peggy. It's good to see you. You too. So it's just about Passover.
1: Yeah by the time we air it will be Passover.
0: Yeah great. And you and I I think both celebrated Passover as kids didn't we?
1: Yep we're having our Seder on Saturday night. Oh you are? Just Mm -hmm. your family or people coming? Nah just our family.
0: Quarantine quarantine Seder. Yeah yeah because you live with your parents so you can
1: Yes, yeah, so it's more full. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. We got nothing. We may do some kind of online thing. We were invited to a friend's seder.
1: Okay.
0: As a kid, I've always really loved Passover. I love, love, love the story of Passover. I love that we would sit around a table and spend hours. I mean, as a kid, the hours was a problem, but we would spend hours telling the story, which for me means this story like just lives in me. I know the story really well. I don't know if you if you liked it when you were a kid.
1: Oh, it was definitely like Thanksgiving and Passover were my favorite holidays as a child for sure. Yep, I like there were so many people and it did go on forever. And <laughs> the real the the call on Passover right is to use your sort of imagination and narrative to be present at a story that you weren't present for right. Um, and that for me, even as a child was a really powerful, um, a sort of a powerful tool of, of imagination and history and memory and narrative. So I'm all about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, how do we, you know, 4,000 years later reenact this, this story which is still alive, still relevant. Yeah, so today you and I were talking about maybe just telling the story and spending a lot of time unpacking it. Just or just stretching it out so that people could maybe see it with fresh eyes, even if you tell the story every year as part of the Seder. I don't know about you, but we always use the same Hagada. <laughs> so it's the same story told in the same way over and over, the same way we do in church it right? is the same one over and over. But to, to retell it kind of in our own words and to look at it maybe with fresh eyes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so the story starts, right, with um, the Jews being enslaved in Egypt, right? And you were, you were sort of mentioning how it begins with this sort of initial forgetting of the relationship between the Egyptians and the Israelites that results in this enslavement by this sort of Pharaoh who didn't know about, about their longstanding relationship. Well,
0: and it, then- starts, it starts even with like mm-hmm. Pharaoh not only knowing he forgets he forgets about Joseph he forgets about everything that had happened and how Joseph had saved them from the famine but then he also sees that this group of people that they're getting bigger and more powerful so he's he's worried he he doesn't know who they were and he doesn't like who they are so he enslaves them he just does this really heavy-handed power over sort of model and keeps them down
1: but then he takes it one step further right and he's like and there shouldn't be any baby boys born because I don't want them becoming even more numerous and powerful right and that's how we get the story of Moses right being being saved from that infanticide that was mandated right
0: you want to tell us that story
1: <laughs> we can tell it together <laughs> um, right so so it's two midwives right who who sort of Secret him away and his mom, and they they uh, they hide him on the river for a few months, and then the fear grows that they're going to be discovered. So they just float him down the river in a basket of reeds, right? Like that's the sort of image that everyone has in their mind. Um, and so this little baby is like floating on the Nile down the river, and the pharaoh's daughter picks him up out of the water and essentially adopts him. And so here's this Jew, but not known to be a Jew, who's brought into the pharaoh's court to be raised as like pharaoh's family right um and that's that's what he is right he gets raised up in the court as moses what are you gonna
0: well i I always like to point out that these two women were the first to engage in civil disobedience in written history that they and that, that it was it was civil disobedience and it was women that they decided not to obey an unjust law and instead they found a way to bypass the law and to save this life and as a result of doing that they also transformed their their lives and all of history
1: yeah yeah so moses gets raised up you know um and then one day he's out walking and he sees an egyptian soldier i think it's a soldier beating a hebrew slave and he kills the soldier and buries him in the ground um and then it's, there's this other little interlude where he's he's talking to a couple of folks who are like, oh, are you gonna kill us like you did that other guy? And then he realizes that folks know what he's done and he better get out of town before he gets in trouble, right? And so then he flees um, to Midian. Uh, do you wanna pick up the story now?
0: Um, well, <laughs> he flees and he finds a group and I'm gonna forget. Uh, Jer- oh, come on. It's at the tip of my tongue. It's not Jericho. What was his name?
1: <laughs> the name is good. Right, the name. Exactly. Um, so just as like a little side note, can I just say? So in the Haggadah, right, there's like a million names that are extremely complicated. And my grandpa, who used to run our Seder, would always make my dad the like Catholic Italian kid. <laughs> from the- say all the, the portions that had all the insane names. Um,
0: but, the- but this is an insane name. I'm, I'm just... I'm just basing on it. Yeah, yep. okay, I, I can try to look anyway. <laughs> so the high, He meets the high priest, the high priest takes him in. He then joins this tribe, joins this family. He is given a wife and becomes part of the family, right? And he just lives, in some way he's living in exile from the life that he knew as an Egyptian. But in another way, he's, um, coming back to his roots. These are his people, and he has found his home.
1: Yeah, okay, so it's Zipporah, right? This is why. Um, But so, yeah, so he had, but but don't forget that he'd saved these girls, right? Like, he'd sort of stumbled on these girls who needed help drawing water up from the well, and he'd, like, saved them from whatever was going on, and that's why he ends up in this family, right? Because he's done sort of this good deed for these folks, Um, and then he's given the daughter right and he's sort of living out his he's living out his life there right um but then go ahead well he's living out
0: his life until
1: right (laughs) so then and the way that the story says it, I'm actually going to read it to you um because um and it's exodus and it's two 23. So it says, now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them, right? So there's this moment where it's sort of outside of Moses's story, in a way, it, there's this moment of God hears the Jewish people, right? groans in slavery.
0: And that's a really important part of this story. So the story of Exodus and the reason that it, it matters or the way that we've seen it become relevant over and over and over again in history is that oppressed people hold on to this story as a sign of enormous hope. And the story of Exodus is foundational for Judaism, making it foundational for Christianity, it's also critical in Islam. It's, it's a world-defining story. And a key piece of it is what you just read, is this idea that when the oppressed call out and say, we cannot do this, God hears them, that, that the prayers, that the lament, that the pain of those who are oppressed is not unseen. And knowing that has inspired, you know, I'm sure more people in more communities than we could possibly count over millennia.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, and we can we can come back to that too sort of um, when we ask ourselves that question of like, why do we still tell this story, right? Um, but that's exactly it, that, that sort of moment of God, this is the prime example of the divine liberator, right? today's subject, um, the prime example of God does not turn a deaf ear to the cries of the suffering, right, in spite of what it might look like from moment to moment, right, this is sort of the source of all, all hope, um, so yeah, so God has this, like, oh, I'm hearing my people again, right, like, oh, I've heard my people again, I'm, I'm remembering that I belong to them, and they belong to me, and then he comes to Moses in the bush that isn't being consumed by the fire right the burning bush um and Moses is sort of like what's happening right here he's like what is happening with this fire and this plant and he sort of stops to figure it out and God's like hey Moses I need you to do a thing right he's like I need you to go and I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell them and then I want you to bring my people out of Egypt right
0: Well, and he also has a really great line when he says, who are you? And the response is, I am who I am, or I am who is, I I am being itself. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because Moses Moses goes like, "Eh, who, like, not me, I'm not your guy, like, I'm, you know, I'm not a good speaker, this is not for me. And God's like, no, no, you have to do this thing. And then he's like, but who are you? And then, yeah, he's the, I am who I am. And you're gonna go there and you're gonna say that I sent you and you're gonna free everybody, right? Well, and
0: uh, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, you don't mean me, because I'm not a good speaker is because he has a stutter, which I think really matters right now because there's so much projection onto Joe Biden about like, well, he's senile because he can't catch words. right? And that is actually what it looks like when someone has been trained around in a stutter that they start to learn how to find a word, a different word, but it takes a minute to figure out how to say what you wanna say in a way that you can say it. So I, So on the one hand, we've got Moses saying, no like i will not represent you terribly well and on the other hand we have god saying it's actually that exact it's because you are so completely human it it all of who you are is acceptable all of who you are is i'm calling all of it i'm i'm even calling those parts of yourself you think are not good enough because this is the gift of humanity that you are you are in some way incomplete you are in lots of ways imperfect and you represent me and the world and other people beautifully, which I think we're seeing playing out. We've seen, we have seen play out many times with great leaders who are so imperfect in a hundred different ways.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, right? There's a really, um, I'd sort of forgotten about this, but there's an embedded part. You're right, right after Moses is like, I'm slow of tongue and I'm, I'm, my, my speech is not good, right? There's this little moment where God's like, who made the slow of tongue, who made the deaf, who made the blind, wasn't it me? And like so stop being a jerk to yourself and just get on board, Moses. But it's this funny, like it's this funny like um sort of like whole person kind of like God. It's like a real moment of made in the image of God means that whatever you are and whoever you are and whatever your limitations or gifts you are still a creature of God, right? And like, I, I feel like we sort of forget this moment of that in the, or I do at least in the scriptures. This is interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. You
0: no less than the trees and the stars.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: And that, that Moses' response is so human. It's the response so many of us give like, this is a really amazing moment. God is talking to me. I actually hear the voice of God. I see the fire, I've taken off my shoes. I know this is holy space. I know I'm standing on sacred ground. What you're telling me is astounding that you are going to liberate the people that I had tried to fight for, and now I'm living in exile. This is right the greatest moment. And then for him to say, but I'm not really worthy of the call.
1: That's so human. It's so human. And what I think is especially interesting, right, is so at first God is like, okay, take your rod, throw it down, it becomes a snake. And he's like, you'll have all these signs. I'm going to give you all these tools. It's going to be great. And Moses is still like, no, thank you. And then finally God's like, fine you can have Aaron, you can take your brother with you and he can do the talking, but you've gotta go. And it's this really funny, it actually says that like the Lord gets angry at Moses for his like insistent self-doubt, right? But finally he says, but I'll give you this, like I'll give you your person to take with you. And it's another sort of interesting moment of um, like God, in theory, God could have just liberated, right? God didn't need a human to help, if the accounts of God are correct, right? But God needs Moses to do this thing and Moses needs his person to do that, right? So the idea that liberation is not something God affects on God's own, that liberation is not a thing that one individual can affect on their own, right? Like there's some embedded like community organizing stuff in here that I think is really cool. Um, so, right, so we learned that
0: God hears the cry of the oppressed and God chooses sides. He has decided there, I actually am, I'm going to liberate you, you're right. I'm not gonna choose the size of the oppressor. And then God calls the people. God calls Moses up and says, you have to work with me. You are going to participate in your own liberation. This is not, it's not just God, you know, blowing things up and saying run. Yeah. okay, what are you going to do? I'll work with you, but what are you going to do to move this forward?
1: Yeah, so off Moses and Aaron go, right, like they're, um, and, and Moses is sort of like said, Aaron, here's the stuff you need to say, like get ready, right, and off they go, and um, back into the court of Moses's childhood, right, and they say to the pharaoh, like the Lord says you have to let my people go, so like, just please do this thing. <laughs> and Pharaoh's like, who's this Lord? I don't know this Lord. I'm not going to do something this Lord is telling me to do, right? Which is also an interesting sort of testament to the understanding at the time of like, that there are loads of gods, right? But this is a God that Pharaoh doesn't know and doesn't trust and has no reason to to listen to. Um, and so, yeah, so Pharaoh's like, no, I'm not going to do that, right? Um, and then we get into this, so strange i mean i remember as a kid thinking like what is this and like why would a god do this right we get into this whole strange episode of the plagues so one of the things
0: everybody knows about about this story is these 10 plagues although off the top of my head i could not name them i got the frogs and locusts and but but the point is that god sends moses sort of armed and says that, you know, this is, you're going to be able to prove that this is the right thing. And I feel like this happens all the time, right? That actually oppressing people becomes um, exhausting and complicated and expensive. And there's all kinds of uh, repercussions for for oppressing people. And these plagues are a really good way for us to see, like, it actually isn't, you know, lovely. It's not, it isn't about like, everything is going just fine for us. There is this relationship between the oppressed and the oppressor that keeps both of them down. And these plagues are a way of saying, it's only getting worse. It's only getting worse. At some point, you're going to have to let these people go until we get to the last one, which is the killing of the firstborn son which is horrific right i mean it's a massacre it couldn't be any bloodier but it's such a vivid and violent demonstration of how bad this is for everyone and of course passover is the way of saying you know not this house right these i i am one of the oppressed i am one of the chosen and that's where we get this i am one of the chosen So you're going to pass over my house and kill the kid next door. The thing is, killing any child at any time is never, you know, it is always a violent act. So it's such a gruesome way for God to say, I've made a choice. And at the same time, there's also a way in which we see the hold that the oppressor has. I will not let them go until keeping these people oppressed is so violent, is so vicious and so bloody, I have no other choice. And frankly, this is the economic system I think we're we're currently in now, right? That it isn't really benefiting. There's some benefit to a few people, but that ultimately the system itself breeds violence.
1: Yeah, then sort of when you when the cost is too high and to, for whom the cost is too high, right? So the other point here is that we get the story from Pharaoh's sort of, we hear about Pharaoh. We don't hear about the regular old Egyptians living in poverty or living well or whatever. Um, and so at the, the breaking point is probably different for, you can imagine that after like one plague, the poor Egyptians were like, dude, just let them go. We do not need this noise, right? But it takes until Pharaoh's own first son is dead before right. it's enough for Pharaoh to break and be like, okay, just go, just go beyond and and we're done, right? But so what that- We see
0: now too, right? I mean, we see like the, when we look at like the 1% or the billionaire who, right, has, there's much more cushion for them, they can handle much more, whereas average people are like, this system is breaking, the planet is dying, I don't have enough to pay the rent, I'm, you know, so the lower you are on the scale, the faster you get hit by all those plagues, which I think is what 2020 was all about. Right.
1: Well, and what I think is especially fascinating is that the pandemic is not, it it has, I, I was I was talking to a friend the other day, who was like, loads of folks in my sort of socioeconomic bracket and above have actually made out like bandits through the yeah. pandemic. And he was like, and I just, he was like, I think what's going to happen is there's going to be an even larger group of des- disaffected folks who are going to be angry and voting in whatever way and and doing whatever it is they do, right? But his point was that for him and folks like him, the pandemic is not your 10th plague. It is, it has not had the impact that some of us might have a year ago hoped it would have. And so the system as sort of run by the wealthy elite, whoever who are not that impacted admittedly could be personally impacted in terms of grief, in terms of loss, but who are not as materially impacted. That's what we're talking about. I want to be really clear, right? Like people are suffering grief. That's real. But in terms of material impact that might actually shift the economic systems and the, sort of commercial way that we operate, the capitalism that we live with. I don't think the pandemic is gonna have done anything, really, because those folks at the top of that capitalist heap are not feeling it the way the rest if of anything,
0: If anything, yeah. they're getting more money. Exactly. Right? I mean, the people at the top are, are gaining more and more as the people on the bottom are losing, right? And people in the middle, right, depending sort of on where you were, if you kept your job, then your income has stayed the same while your expenses have probably gone down. I mean, yeah, the, the divide is only getting clear. You're right, this was not the 10th plague.
1: This mm-hmm. was like
0: five. Yep. Yeah, so,
1: not our
0: so the average Egyptian is like, we can't take anymore, or we're going to starve if we, and yet Pharaoh's like, I'm doing just fine. I'm,
1: good. I'm right? all right, y'all. What, what's interesting, right, is in the story, um, the idea that that fair sort of digs in, right, that's I think that's another really human element of this story, right, is our sort of our human impulse to sort of be like no everything's fine or like the way that we're doing is right and I'm not going to listen to you who's saying it's wrong, right, like we have this real sort of like um, we get entrenched and it's hard to undo um, even in the face of like clear signs, right, like getting about climate change, like clear signs, but somehow we, we harden ourselves, we get stuck in, in ways that is, um, it's really, really hard to undo. There's so much humanness in this story, right? For a story that's about divine as liberator, it's really an incredibly human story. Um, so that 10th leg comes though, right? And, and the firstborn are dead and Pharaoh's firstborn is dead, sons. And so then he's like, all right, just, just get out, just go. I'm done with you, go. And off they go, right? And the sort of the last bit of this story is that then Pharaoh changes his mind. And he's like, actually, never mind, come back. I need all your labor. Right. And he's like, We're coming after you. Um, and then it's the whole sort of the very famous, you can all sort of imagine it in your minds, um, parting of the of the sea, right? And that sort of that last moment where where God does the thing that helps the Jews escape, separates the waters and they walk through these walls of water. And then as the Egyptians come in, the water rushes in and consumes them. Um, and that kind of ends this episode of liberation, right?
0: Such a clear choice, right? Yeah. So those who were the enslaved, you get to the other side. Those who are enslaving them, you're all dead.
1: Yeah. 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 And it it's when we think about so I think a lot, and I I usually preach about Passover every year, right? And I think a lot about like, why does the story still matter? Why do we still tell the story year after year after year? And why do we, why is the injunction to like, remember that you were there with Moses freed from Egypt, right? And I think part of it is exactly around the idea of remembering that oppression was not a singular moment in time, right? That oppression is, is sort of I'm going to say this and we can walk it back if we need to, but oppression is kind of built into human interaction. Like there's a, there's a real, seemingly a real human temptation to oppress, right? Or to have power over or to, and that that part of our work is like overcoming that. Um, And that that's part of what the story is, right? It's like, remember that at one point you were oppressed and you found liberation and your job is to try to help other people find liberation or find the liberation that you need or whatever it is, right? Um, It may also be, we were talking about this a little bit before we started today, um, for folks like you and me, right? Who are doing fine, right? And we're not, we are neither Pharaoh nor are we enslaved uh, Israelites, right? Um, we'd probably like, if we had to locate ourselves in the story, really in this moment, the sort of comparably, we'd probably be like uh, regular Egyptians, like living in Pharaoh's land and like doing Okay. And not really sure about whether Pharaoh was doing a good job or not. And, you know, and it's, it's interesting to think about the story that way. Right. Cause I grew up and, and in your mind, in the, when you're telling the story, you're always, you're in the seat of the enslaved Israelite, but to think about where would I actually be in this story, if this story were now, right. Um, I'd probably be like complicit Egyptian, right? <laughs> like sort of part of the system, um, and right. and, I-
0: and feeling good about ourselves because we know people shouldn't be enslaved, and you know we do really feel for them, and we do hope that you know things work out for them, and and the feeling of like, um, what I was going like toxic positivity, like. You know, let's not complain too much about things and really, you know, you don't want to get too political. We don't want to talk too much about it. It's, you know, everything is going to ultimately be okay. And, and we do recreate that right we've recreated it over and over in history and we recreate it again now. And it's, I think it's really important to remember that everybody always sees themselves as the oppressed we always look at this and see, we are the ones God chose. And we never see ourselves as the ones who are complicit in the system, who are benefiting in some way from an oppressive system that has that is standing on someone else's back because we see ourselves as being innocent.
1: Yeah, so it is interesting then, right? To sort of cast our mind into, what if what if that's not where we are in the story right what if that's not who we are what if what if what we are are the egyptians who if we had you know stormed the court before there wouldn't have been 10 plagues and there wouldn't have been enslavement and there wouldn't have been right um and sort of what does that then call us to right um you know the story is a story of god hearing god's people and wanting to enact a liberation um but as we said before it's not a liberation that can be accomplished only by god and how much faster might that liberation have been accomplished if more people had heeded the cries and the call right um and sort of what does that what does that mean we are responsible for now in our lives right how do we not be complicit egyptians you know just sort of scraping by trying to make it in a broken system um it's a big question
0: well I mean it feels like it's the question of the year 2020 and now 2021 that this is what we're wrestling with there is a sense of um because of the pandemic of people having enough time to sit and think and recognize what the system is. So for me, there's tremendous hope because I think that we, in some way, I feel like, you know, the, there were five plagues, even if there weren't 10, that we have been visited by, we have been given enough signs. The scientists have been really clear the, that enough people have taken to the street. I right? mean, we've been watching people rise up. And now the call is for people like you and me, can we be accomplices in that work? Can we not just sit at home and feel good about ourselves because we know those other people should be liberated? But can we actually take ourselves out to the street? Can we hear God's call? If God has chosen the side of the oppressed and God has called us to be participants in our own liberation, can we get out there and do something? Or are we waiting for somebody else? Are we waiting for Moses to show up and make everything okay. And honestly, if he does, will we even follow him? I wonder a lot about what <laughs> happened when Moses is like, now is our time, let's go. How many people were like, oh, we can just go in the morning. And you know, because I think that's, there's a very human response to major change that, it feels just frightening. I can imagine people I know saying, we don't know what's next, we're gonna just stay here. Like This is really hard, this is a really hard way to live, but that could be starvation in the desert. So why would I follow you? I mean, I think that we are challenged over and over again to, to hear ourselves, to hear the cry of the oppressed, to take action, to for, for our collective liberation, and to not just sit at home and wait for everything to just magically be okay. That is not the story. And even after they get over, and we're not gonna talk about what happens in the desert, but even after they get over and the Egyptians are no longer following, now the challenges do start. How do you create a nation? How do you create a people? How do you define yourselves? How do you survive in a desert where you are largely alone?
1: I think there's a, there's a really interesting um, issue here, I think, around the human capacity to move past um, what what amounts on some level to survival and materiality, right? So you can imagine those folks being like, it's time, but I'm not ready. I don't like, I got my stuff over here. How do I pack up? Like, I don't, there's a real, and the, and the regular Egyptians sort of being like, you know, we're comfortable. It's okay. We're getting by, at least we're not as bad off as those folks over there. There's like a real, um, the, the nebulousness of liberation (laughs) on some level, if you are just comfortable enough, right. Which is, I think what most folks sort of, um, wrestle with is like, if you're just, if you're, you're making it right, you're like just making it, then the need, the impulse, right. Is, um, is to sort of stay in the place where you're okay even if on the other side even if through some sort of like liberation and transformation everything could be so much better there's this inertia but it's an inertia that's tied to the human sort of like base human as creature animal that needs to eat and live and and you know what i mean like there's a sort of a a fundamental so so thinking about what is it that pushes us out of comfort or makes us willing to risk discomfort or risk like actual danger to ourselves, right? What is the thing that pushes us there? And it's kind of the question about what's enough to push Pharaoh flipped on its head, right? What's enough to push the oppressor into change? What's enough to push the oppressed into revolution? What's enough to push the middle ground folks into not apathy, right?
0: well, and it moves into like next week, we're talking about transformation. We're talking about Easter, and it feels like this is the religious story over and over and over again, right? You think that you're OK and something dramatic happens. Are you going to respond or right? do you go hide in the upper room or do you take out to, go out to the street and bring transformation to the people?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and we'll sort of um, be thinking about this perpetual strain of religious narrative, transformation, redemption, liberation, all of these things.
0: This has been a, a good, it's good talking to you about all this. It's different for us, right? To unpack a story in this kind of detail, but mm-hmm. it's such a, a foundational story. It feels like this was a good way for us to spend our time together.
1: Yeah. It was good to talk to you.
0: You too. See you next week. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> Bye. Bye.